Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Getting out here, I will say just what the Cowboy Channel has done with the rodeos streaming all year long. You know, I, a lot of the folks that I've met out here are, are informed way more. You know, they know what I've been doing all year long and have seen a lot of my rides. So that's really cool and a big difference from the last time I was out here at the NFR. So that's it's definitely done a lot. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. You can go back and find a bull at some rodeo you'd never have a chance of seeing a video from. So it's it's really cool and a great tool that I know we utilize as contestants and for the fans to follow us all year long. Live from the NFR. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, catch up on all the old episodes, and check out the latest. You're going to like it. Welcome to the Luke Branquino Show. If I'm a little raspy today, it's because I got hit by allergies here in the desert of Las Vegas. Um, If you are in the convention center and you could hear my voice, please come to the Cowboy Channel stage right below this wonderful escalator. Come uh, watch the show and enjoy the guests we have today. If you're watching on the Cowboy Channel Plus app, Tell your friends because that's the best ticket in town when it comes to rodeo. And if you want to catch up on some old episodes, check out the Luke Branquino Show on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe because if you subscribe, it has a chance for me to make some money. And I'm a retired rodeo cowboy and I need all the help I can get. So thank you guys for joining me. I have some great guests with me today. Uh, Cody Teal, world champion bull rider and PBR champion. This guy has... uh, about accomplished everything you could in the rodeo world as far as bull riding comes. And we also have Josh Smith from the Montana Knife Company. He's the owner and master bladesmith. Thank you guys for joining me. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. You know, we we talk about rodeo and transition crossover in the hunting world. Um, Obviously, I'm a big hunter and a big rodeo cowboy. So, Josh, to have you guys upstairs in the, you know, the RMEF country cowboy, I'm not sure what it's called. There's a lot of letters and stuff there. But, (laughs) you know, you guys see a lot of crossover with the cowboys and the Western Way of Life coming up and visiting you guys in your booth. And let's get that booth number out there for everybody, too. Yeah, I'll actually have to look on my phone. I think it's like 2113 or something like that. But I don't even know our number. But (laughs) we're up there by the total archery area there where the kids can shoot their bows and stuff. But yeah, there's, there is a lot of cross crossover. Um, you know, my, my family's all been ranchers and farmers and, and in Montana, a lot of the hunting that we do are on farms and ranches. And, um, I, I think it's a, you know, there's a lot of people actually that are going out using their horses on the ranch. And then they're also using their horses in the back country, you know, packing in elk hunting and, 
Um, I think they have similar values, um, you know, and an appreciation for the land and, and the wildlife that we have is, you know, in Montana and all over this country. Yeah. And Cody, I know, um, bull rider, obviously an outdoorsman and, and always packing a knife with you and using it. Um, I promise you, you're going to want to try to get one of these. They're pretty amazing. But the first time I got to meet Cody Teal, um, I think it was our Heston. I mean, we got to see each other, but we had a Heston photo shoot and my wife had your wife on her podcast companion pass and a picture came up of you and I, it's almost like one of those, um, I don't know if we say it, but two men that are together leaning against a hay bale, <laughs> smiling at each other like that. And my wife got the biggest kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah. After that was mentioned on the podcast, that little book resurfaced in our house as well. So yeah, I got to take a little walk down memory road with that particular photo shoot. And it was, it was, I got a kick out of it myself at the time. I didn't realize, uh, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah exactly. <laughs> we, didn't realize, <laughs> we didn't realize what the picture was actually yeah, going to yeah. come up and look at, uh, look like. Uh, but, you know, you had a pretty good, a really good career before you even got that world championship. Two-time Texas uh, State High School champion, college champion in 2011. And then from there, you transitioned right into the PRCA world championship. And, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of like a rise to stardom real fast. Yeah, it, it happened really fast, too. I tell you, you know, I've always told people I never was the most talented or flashiest kid, you know, just kind of grinded it out and just always found a way to win, you know, in some way or another. And, um, yeah, I was fortunate in my rookie year in 2011, a rodeo with a, a veteran, Howdy Cloud, three-time NFR qualifier. And um, I learned a lot from him that year just on how to act, how to handle the winning, the losing, and just kind of stay even killed through it all. And, uh you know, end up second for rookie of the year, 20th in the world, didn't make the finals my rookie year. So I think that was a big learning experience, you know, through losing basically and coming up short on some goals. I took that and rolled into 2012. And, uh, you know, I credit that year to to all the success I had afterwards, you know, just learned from it. And I think, you know, that was something uh, moving forward in my career. I remembered that, that you can you can learn just as much from losing as you can winning, you know, and that's a, it's very important you do that. Well, that's the, you hit the nail on the head. My rookie year, I ended up 16th by $1,300, and I know exactly. You know, I could sit there and say, well, it was this steer, it was this steer, that steer throughout the year, right. but it was a learning experience for me. And, and like you said, it, to me, it's not losing, it's learning. Yeah. If, if you don't win, you're always learning how to or how to get yeah. better to do it. And for me, that's exactly what it was. I did now after the season was over, I took a week off and I, that week was really blurry. I was with an old college roommate in San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly. So if anybody knows that town, you know, that week is why I don't remember much. But after that was over, I focused on, okay, what do I need to do to change it for next year? And that really just catapulted me into my first national finals rodeo and on into my world championships. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's, that's something I focused on a day, you know, can't be too emotional, can't get too caught up in, in whatever's happening and just try to process it all. You have to process like what you did, break it down, you know, correct it, fix the problem and move forward, you know, and whether it's day to day, week to week, year to year, coming up short on a goal, it's just, you know, as in life, whatever experiences you're doing or whatever you're working toward, you just have to process what's happening so you can, you know, better yourself moving forward. Well, and Josh, going to that, I mean, with your business, I bet there was a lot of learning moments on how to make your steel right, and how, but not only that, but how to get into the industry and be successful in that avenue. 
Yeah, you know, I I actually started as a kid, and I remember, you know, I, I was hanging out around, you know, older guys. You know, back then I thought they were real old. Now they're they were younger than me I, now, but uh, you know, thirties and forties, fifty year old guys, and I was constantly seeking their praise, hoping that you know, like I, I'd show them a knife that I made, you know, because I started when I was eleven, and so I'd show them knives I made all the way through high school. And we'd go to a show somewhere and I'd, I'd say, well, what do you guys think of this? And they constantly were always tearing them down. You know, they, you know, like, oh, that's all right, but this could be better. Your edge is too thick. You know, the shape of this isn't right. And they just con- continually picked it apart. I remember there were quite a few times I actually, uh, you know, talked about quitting to my parents, you know, just like frustrated, like I'm never going to make these guys, you know, like get a compliment out of them. And they just kind of kept beating me up on that stuff, but it, it pushed me to kind of, just keep getting better and better. And, and I remember I was probably 22 or 23 years old. I was a master bladesmith at that point, And I was at a show in Atlanta, Georgia, and I showed, uh, Tim Hancock. He's, he's passed away now, but he was an old bull rider. Uh, just a great guy. And he was a legend knife maker. And I, I showed him this, showed him this knife. I was like, what do you think? And he's like, that's a damn nice knife. And I, I remember it like, it like took me back. I was like, really? <laughs> But, you know, those guys drove me to get better and better and push me. And instead of kind of coddling me or telling me what I wanted to hear, that's what, that's what, why I got as good as I did so fast. And I always tell people, like, I wasn't really specially talented or anything, but I, it's amazing. And it was totally random, but it was amazing. The group of guys that I got into making knives with happened to all end up in their own right, be world-class knife makers. And so I, I just had really great legends teach me early on, you know, from the very beginning and, and, and they were willing to spend that time with a kid, probably an annoying kid, quite honestly, you know, but they, they were awesome. And that's, that's the reason I got as good as I did so fast. Cause they were willing to share and, and teach and, and critique. Well, and I think any, anybody that's been successful in any industry and especially in the rodeo industry, Cody, you want to be around people that they, they don't want to tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. And, you know, if you make a mistake, yeah, you make a mistake. You need to be accountable for it and fix it. And, you know, for me, that was really important because if I, you know, I don't think I didn't, had near the success if somebody said, oh, yeah, you're doing fine. Just keep, you know, just do this. No, you messed up here, here, and here. Let's fix those, and now we're going to go to it. No, absolutely. It's so cool to hear you talking about that too, Josh. Just, you know, the people you surround yourself with, you know, that's so, it's so important or who you, you know, try to follow or uh, look up to, you know, and, and being, they're being critical on you to make, cause they, you know, they see the potential and uh, want you to be better. And fortunately for me early on, like I mentioned guys like Howdy Cloud, there wasn't, you know, not, he didn't say a lot in general, but you know, when he did, you listen and guys like J.W. Harris, he was the man when I came around and there was no uh, beating around the bush with him. You know, he shot it to you straight and, uh, yeah, you know, that's, it's a big part of, you know, what catapulted me from 2011 into 2012 to be successful was, you know, getting it shot to me straight. And at times it didn't, it wasn't, didn't feel good. You didn't like it, but you darn sure learned from it and it, it motivated you to, to be better for sure. And you talked about, you know, you weren't the flashiest, you were just grounded out and that proves, you know, with winning the world championship, but you also have two average titles here at the national finals rodeo. And to get on 10 head of some of the rankest bulls in the world and be able to come out on top, you know, and, and obviously everybody shows up here wanting to ride 10 head. I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? But not necessarily the case when you're getting banged up every day on these ranked bulls, you have to grind it out. And that's, that's what you did two times to win those average titles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and every year I've been here, it's, it's kind of, it's been indifferent, you know, it's been 
the way I've done it has been different. The bulls you get on, they're different. And uh, with that in mind, you know, it's never going to happen the same way twice, you know, and like it's, it's, it's a grind right now. I'm one for four so far. Little things have happened that haven't, you know, gone my way or, um, but you know, here we are another opportunity tonight. And uh, that's all you can do is focus on what's in front of you. But, you know, with the, the past year's experiences and that's, come into this like it's just just how it rolls you got to take it how it comes out here and that's what I've told people it's kind of like a whole season condensed into 10 days with the emotional roller coaster you can experience you know for me it's not to take that rattle you'd have to kind of stay right in the middle and just keep pushing through it so that's what we're that's what we're doing this year well I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. you're kind of the veteran of yeah. the bull riders right I mean yeah and bull rider and obviously is not a old man sport but you're the veteran and and Josh that I want to ask you about that. Now that you said you were the young kid pestering those older guys, are you the guy that they come to now and ask for, you know, advice and, and stuff like that? Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's start, it's definitely started happening that way. And I, I, you know, I, I've, I've put on, you know, hammer-ins they're called or in like a knife conference at my shop and brought other makers in to teach. And, you know, I've gone places and, and taught and it's, it's definitely interesting because especially in the Instagram world, like I grew up making knives, there was no internet, which makes me sound like a mansion. <laughs> but, you know, I, I didn't get to YouTube, uh, you know, how to make a knife. Like I had to go to old guys' shops and I'd fly across the country and go visit some old guy and spend a week with them. And, um, and I, I encourage guys to do that now is, is, is go knock on a guy's door because it's amazing what you can learn in, in person, you know, and there's those little tips and little tricks that, you might miss on a video and stuff, but yeah, we've, we've definitely, or I've definitely seen, um, you know, a lot of people coming and asking for advice. And then with, with what I've done here lately with starting Montana knife company, uh, you know, I think it's kind of motivated some people seeing what I've done with that to do it in their own right. Maybe even not in knife making, but in other things of like starting your own business and you know, you're working a day job, but you're working at night trying to maybe chase a passion that's not yet your career. So and I know for me doing clinics and stuff, even when I was competing and, and Cody, you could speak to this, but when you're doing clinics, you could almost figure some things out that maybe I need to change this up a little bit now in my riding style. Or for me, it was my steer wrestling, just helping other kids and helping other people. You could almost figure out how to make your job easier and better. Absolutely. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And you know, and it's just, it's just those basic fundamentals that you're instilling in a kid to how they start. And that, and then, doesn't matter how much you achieve or accomplish in rodeo and bull ride in particular, it all boils down to those basic fundamentals. You know, that's what you have to go back to. Every buck off you have, it's because you didn't do a basic fundamental thing right, you know, and you can always break it down to that. And when you're helping a young guy or someone else giving advice, you're just kind of just steadily repeating, you know, you're just getting back down to the root of the sport. And that's really all it is. And you get away, it's easy to get away from that. You get too caught up in things that really, you know, aren't causing the buck off or whatever you can get out and left far out and left field with that but it's just all comes down to the basic fundamentals at the end of the day whether you've been doing this over 10 years or you're just starting out that's you have to do those little things right well and i always felt like if i was helping the future of rodeo and um you know the sport it was helping to elevate that yeah. but it was also elevating me and and i've always been under the impression of if I could make somebody else sharper, it's going to make me sharper. And we would, when we would practice for the finals, we would get, you know, six guys that had made the finals, come to the house. We'd practice on, not practice, we'd get the steers ready that we were going to run here. And you want to talk about some rank wolfy practice sessions? It, it was pretty fun to be involved in that. 
I can imagine so. You know, the, just the competitive nature, you know, I think it elevates the practice sessions a lot more having all the guys there doing that. And, you know, it's the same in the board ride. You know, you hear the same old deal. We're not, oh, we don't compete against each other. We're just, we're going against the bull. But, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, you know, you want to you want to outdo them, you know what I mean? It's true. You are, all you can worry about is the bull. Right. But, you know, it's that competitive nature. Everyone, you sense it when you get in that locker room, you know, it top 15 guys in the world there's a little bit of a swagger there you know in some different ways than other but you know everyone wants to win and that elevates the competition a lot you know with that attitude and uh you know that's you know makes everyone better for sure i will say it's it's it reminds me of what you were talking about with you guys getting together those hammer-ins i talked about you know back in the 90s and the early 2000s before the internet the only way to share information was to get together and and in a lot of art forms or a lot of businesses there's a lot of like hiding your secrets and keeping it from other people and not you know or maybe not telling somebody about you know some new technique or whatever and back in those times in those days um we had these events you know these hammerings where we'd get together and guys would just share ideas and just and just like try new things and 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 constantly push each other and it was really cool because back then you didn't have Instagram or something to share pictures. So you wouldn't see somebody's work until maybe six months later at a show or something. You'd show up and these guys would have like this new thing that they'd come out with. And, and what was cool about that industry in that time back then is it was a real brotherhood and a family. And those guys would actually share like, hey, this is what I did. This is how I did it. And then that guy'd go back to his shop and he'd level it up and he'd come back to the show with something and the guy that showed him that technique would be like, how the hell did you do that? You know, and so it was, it, it, it's one of the coolest things about the knife industry is it was always so sharing and uplifting, but it was also competitive because you wanted to come to the Atlanta Blade Show and there's these competitions. You'd put a knife in for best Damascus knife or best hunting knife or best whatever, and you wanted to beat your buddy next to you. Um, you know, but you were also best friends with that guy and that guy maybe taught you how to do one of your techniques. And the other thing that was really you know, ingrained into me was, you know, if somebody teaches you something, give them credit, you know, say like, Hey, I learned this from Luke, or I learned this from Tim, you know, and then, and then put your own twist on it. Don't just copy what they do. So that, 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 that competition between each other, even though you're not really actually in control of what they're doing is, is really cool. And I think it goes across multiple industries. Here on the Luke Branquino show, we like to throw a little rodeo trivia around. So we're going to Ask the question, and you guys put the answers in the comments. See if you get it right. In the barrel racing event, how many barrels does a barrel racer have to navigate around on the cloverleaf pattern? To hear the answer, you're going to have to stay tuned. Keep watching the show because I will answer it a little bit later. If you guys are just joining us or just stepped up, uh, that's Josh Smith, master bladesmith and owner of montana knife company and cody teal world champion bull rider so if you can hear my voice come up here we're having some great conversation here at the cowboy channel stage um josh in so my kids are obsessed with little youtube videos and stuff like that but they also watch and i can't forged in fire i mean is that have you competed on that and is that something that the competition similar to rodeo again it's you you're, you know, you're under pressure to do something in a short amount of time to make yeah. the very best. Yeah. Yeah. I was on there a couple times. Um, uh, it was a good experience. It's, it's interesting cause you are definitely, you, you're not, you're not in control of what the person next to you is doing. You just have to focus on your stuff. You talk about the fundamentals, 
you know, you have to do your basic things correct right from the start. And you are under a clock, which is something that, you know, you're not generally under in your own shop, right? Um, and and it was it was a good experience. It's not. It, it's funny because some people think it's a bigger deal than it, than it was. I've I've accomplished other things. I'm probably more proud of. It's it's just TV, but it's a cool it, it, it's a cool thing. And what it did do, and I will say, is it definitely elevated the knife making um, you know industry you know kind of into the mainstream. Because you used to tell people like you know I was a full time custom knife maker for ten years, and somebody'd ask you what you do, and you say you're a knife maker, and they kind of look like like. Well, that's weird. Is that even a thing, or is that a? Can you make a living at that? And now, that's definitely more mainstream. Um, so it was it was a good experience, and and quite honestly, like one of the guys I competed against on there, I'd never met in my life. Um, you know, we ended up becoming really good friends, and I asked him to help us design our chef's knives. His name's Mareko Malmasi, but there again, you know, they're they're competitors of yours in the industry, quote unquote, but they're also friends, and and uh, it, it's a cool family. Well, and you speak to that uh, as far as getting on TV, and now people can under, understand it. It's become a little more mainstream. And, I mean, let's be honest, that's what's kind of happened with rodeo and getting on TV more with the Cowboy Channel, the Cowboy Channel Plus app, you know, everything that's being televised. And, and honestly, Yellowstone had a big play on that, too, you know, with the cowboy hats now everybody's wearing. But, Cody, have you seen a difference? Because I know I have just in the last couple of years, just traveling across the country in airports and stuff, seen a difference in the way the western culture has just blown up yeah absolutely like you said there's a lot more cowboy hats out there just it's simply in the airport you notice it a lot more and uh getting out here i will say just what the cowboy channel has done with the rodeos streaming all year long you know I, a lot of the folks that i've met out here are, are informed way more you know i know what i've been doing all year long and i've seen a lot of my rides so that's really cool and a big difference from the last time I was out here at the NFR. So that's it's definitely done a lot. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. You can go back and find a bull at some rodeo you'd never have a chance of seeing a video from. So it's it's really cool and a great tool that, I know, we utilize as contestants and for the fans to follow us all year long. Well, and Josh, you talked about, uh, you know, we talked about the Cowboy Channel. Has it become uh, for you to be more of a, cow- a rodeo follower as well? Yeah, it's it's. I, I remember those days where you had to watch the, like, yesterday's round tonight you know and or the the they'd have the round on that had just gone on like way late at night you know and so to be able to watch it live and 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 you know to be to be in it and not already know the results it kind of sucks to watch the rodeo on tv and you kind of already know who won or who did what you know um and it's also really cool to be able to text you know friends of yours you know if if it's um you know dakota eldridge you know and like text him right after a great run or you know, um, Richie, you know, yeah. Rich, Richmond champion, you know, it's, it's cool to be able to text those guys, you know, right when they get off a horse and be like, hell yeah, great right. job, you know? So it's, 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 and, and also the fact that it's actually on TV at a decent time where kids can watch it. Right. Cause I remember as kids, my parents wouldn't let us stay up and watch it. You had school the next day cause it was so late and now it's on at a decent time and my kids love it. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cody, you uh, you got to experience bull riding on another level too. You know, you went uh, from the PRCA and then started the PBR. What in 2016, 2017? Um, you know, and that had to be a, a great transition for you. I mean, it, the travel schedule's not near as hectic, I don't think. And you know, newlyweds, so you got to have Caitlin with you at all of them. And and let's talk about that and how that experience helped you to even get to where you're at now. Yeah, it was really cool. And just, uh, you know, people ask me why, you know, I switched to the PBR. It was just a timing thing for me. I I knew in the back of my mind I wanted to end up in the PBR and at least uh, attempt that. You know, growing up, when I did, the PBR is such a mainstream deal, you know. Of course, fan of rodeo and NFR, but ultimately I, I knew I wanted to test myself in the PBR. And I knew it, you know, after going to five five NFRs and like you said one was able to win a world title and it had some success at the NFR you know I just felt like all right let's start looking ahead all right there's the PBR because that that was the number one question I got when are you going to the PBR when are you going to go to the PBR you know and uh competitively it was more so I wanted to go challenge myself over there you know I mean because it is you're you're against the best bulls day in and day out and obviously the ride riding wise the competition it's it's uh, at a high level so and that was the biggest, uh, biggest decision making, you know, competitively. I wanted to go test myself over there and had some success, was able to go to uh, six consecutive PBR World Finals. And uh, it, it was great, you know, and just, again, it, the kind of things kind of came full circle for me after being on the tour for, for that many years and kind of the grind that comes with it. I was just kind of ready to change things up and kind of refresh it. And, uh, you know, that was my decision to come come rodeo this year kind of take a step back and you know I will say I got out of this year what I was looking for um it it was it's been great a lot of fun you know it was a not to say it wasn't a grind it was a challenge it wasn't smooth sailing but you know it kind of sparked the sparked the fire that I was looking for you know so really good well and a lot of people don't understand you know like you said you getting on the rankest bulls day in and day out because that's what those contractors, that's what they do. They breed those bulls yeah. for PBRs to go. Now, a rodeo contractor, they don't have the luxury of being able to have, you know, if the rodeo takes 30 cowboys, they don't have 30 ranked bulls. So they kind of got to put together a pin of what they feel is the best. So you may get have two or three really ranked bulls you know, 10 or so that are just nice bulls and then just kind of whatever they put together and no fault of their own. That's just the way the industry is. But in the PBR, it is the rankest bulls because you have 35, 40 contractors that are bringing one bull to each event. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, they're screened. They're so heavily screened and you you have to send so many videos to have them approved to even show up, you know, and the same like they do at the NFR, you know, it's the 100 best bulls and they're heavily screened. So over there, it's basically like, NFR caliber every weekend you know that's that's the difference and and they're both so challenging in in different ways whether it be travel or external factors things you can't control that things you have to learn to deal with to be able to show up and compete at your best and I will say that that they you know they're they're challenging in their own way and it's it's unique that's you know that's what I've learned.
Josh, you were mentioning uh, Wade Sankey. You got become friends with him, and I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about it. it's it's a grind for those contractors to try to put on a rodeo and accommodate everything and make everybody happy. Which in this industry, sorry, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, those guys uh, those guys are incredible, and I, I really got a, a chance to get to know them in the last couple of years. You know, they they bring the stock to the Missoula rodeo there for the fair, and my kids have their 4-H animals in the fair, and. Um, it, it's it's been really cool behind the scenes to learn how much work goes into the breeding and and then you know the the training the practicing the stuff that they have to do the analyzing of the you know of those bulls because the the last thing they want is that bull to to come out with Cody on and not and not do its job because they 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 understand that you know what what they're providing is a chance for him to win money and you know you know provide for his family and so. It's really cool, you know. Matt Sharping with uh, Phenom Genetics, he do, he does the bulls and 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 Wade there with Sankey Pro Rodeo with with the horses. It's just really amazing. And then the grind, like I was hanging out with them, uh, you know, behind the shoots at the Missoula Rodeo. And as soon as it's over, they're loading all that stuff and they're heading to the next place. And they got to feed all those animals, take care of them. You know, I was talking to them about all the, you know, the the vet work and stuff that they have to do to keep those animals healthy because those things are athletes. Um, you know, those 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 animals are absolutely incredible. And the amount of work that it takes to keep those uh, those animals in top, top, you know, fit form. I know that like this week it's tough for them because they can't really be in control of their animals. Right. You know, they kind of got to let them go, you know, to the people that are in charge of the NFR and they're maybe not getting the same feed and the same care that they normally get. And that's a big deal to them. Cause you know, if you throw that off for that athlete, just a tiny bit, that animal might not come out and perform like it would, you know, in July when they're taking care of them the way they do. Right, and you mentioned Missoula, and I know we talked earlier, you guys are getting involved, trying to get involved more with the Western uh, industry. You sponsor a few rodeos up in Montana, and you got some things in the works to hopefully to get more involved with us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we sponsored the Mile City Bucking Horse Sale the last couple of years, um, you know, several rodeos, um, you know, around Missoula, uh, you know, Western Montana. Um, you know, I, I just think the Western way of life is so ingrained in in who i am it you know it skipped a generation with me i grew up in excavation um but my parents both came from farm and ranching backgrounds uh you know my kids are in 4-h my wife rides horses and, and grew up riding with her dad and and uh you know it's it's you know we, we're american made knife company we make everything that we do is here in america um you know, I, I absolutely will not take any of that stuff overseas. You know, we get constantly hit up about, hey, you can make this overseas or make that overseas and have better margins. And I really feel like our, you know, our mission and our motto, it's it's, it's working knives for working people. And there's nobody who works harder than farmers and ranchers, you know, and these guys that rodeo. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of these guys that hunt, but they also own a farm or a ranch or they have friends that do it. And, and all whether it's hunters or farmers, ranchers, guys that rodeo, uh, the men and women in that, they all, it's the most patriotic thing that we have, a sporting event that we have. Um, rodeo is so cool. And, and I think those people that follow that really love the fact that we're doing something in the U.S. and just not willing to take it overseas. Yeah, 100%. And, and Cody, you've had plenty of sponsors on your shirts. And, you know, Josh, we were talking about this earlier. You don't have to necessarily be a world champion but if you're a good person have a good following and have the beliefs that the company wants those are those are the type of things to me that really come together in the western industry okay 
then then you grow together as a team. And and to me, being one unit is way more powerful than okay, we're going to sponsor this guy. He has a ton of world championships, but he doesn't necessarily believe in the product. He's just there for the money. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and that's that's the way I look at it. Anytime I've you know gone to a partnership with a sponsor or whatever, you know, it's it's kind of just. You know, I, I'm being me to represent the company, and there's like a mutual understanding. Like, okay, you know, in my mind, like, I, they're we're working together so I can represent the company in the way that I go about day to day life, and it all will it all aligns. You know, like you're saying, a working relationship to to benefit the whole big picture. Yeah, yeah I know. For me, I, I've with been with Purina for. I don't know how long, but before I was even an ambassador to them, I fed their product because I believed in it and trusted everything they did for my livestock. And to me, that that means a lot to me, but it means a lot that they came to me and said, hey, we trusted you, you know, or you trusted us, so now we're going to trust you. Yeah, yeah and, and as, as somebody who is just starting to get into sponsoring, you know, like this past year is the first year we, we were able to spend some money on some advertising and sponsoring some of like the guys in the hunting industry. And as, as we start to work into the rodeo, um, you know, arena and, and that Western way of life, you know, kind of like with the hunting stuff, we didn't have the money to sponsor people originally. So we just built relationships and we, we gave some product out. We supported them the best we could. Um, we didn't ask for anything in return. We didn't expect anything. But it really was the best way to go because we built the relationships first. And then once we got to the point where we were able to spend a little bit of money helping support them and advertising, they really knew what we were about. And they were actually even better able to talk about who we are, what we're about. You know, and you know, you're not going to see our, you know, our, our name all over the NFR in the next year, right? We're, we're a, two guys that own this company that are just bootstrapping it from the start. But over time, hopefully we can just develop more relationships, support where we can, you know, buy ads where we can and start building into that. And, and hopefully down the road, we can be, you know, a bigger name at this event. Well, bootstrapping and now you're having to expand from something you started in January on your property. You're having to expand because you guys have blown up so much just from what little and not necessarily little activation, but what activation you have done. Yeah, it's it's been unbelievable, and it's really been American people supporting us. I mean, it's been absolutely wild. You know, I, I registered the name Montana Knife Company when I was 19 years old, wow. but I didn't launch it until I was 39, which happened to be COVID year of 2020. So that was probably a bad time to decide to start a business, but as it turns out, it was actually great. And I, I was a journeyman lineman for the power company, and I was doing this at night. My kids, my wife were helping make those knives. And then finally, I quit my job January 1st to 21 and hired our first employee that year. And, you know, now we've got like 41 employees. Um, and we built this new building we moved into in January and, and we're pretty much maxed out of it now in November or December. So, um, it, and it's really truly just been grassroots support of the American people. Um, you know, it, it's, it, we haven't had any like huge celebrities or any of that stuff until later on. Then people like Joe Rogan started catching on. <laughs> so he's kind of a big one, I guess, but uh, the, the point is, is that we got to where we got, where people like Rogan started noticing us because of just regular everyday people buying our stuff and just sharing it with friends, giving them, giving them out to friends, you know, um, you know, Richie gave all of the bareback and bronc riders, one of our knives down here and just things like that. I can't even express how much that means to us. Cause I, I, I can't go out and reach out to all those guys, right. but the fact that he was willing to give those knives out was just really cool. Well, and you said something that I think resonates with every rodeo cowboy. You'd come home and you'd make knives at night and your wife and kids would help you. And, and as a cowboy myself, 
that's how the rodeo world is, right, Cody? I mean, we go out and practice. We get home. My wife's opening the chute for us. The kids are running steers up. I would never let my wife haze for me. I hope she doesn't hear that. But, um, you know, just, and that's just the way, that's just the way our industry and our, and the way we live are, is. And I mean, same with you, Cody. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a big part of, you know, a big deciding factor in me going back to rodeo and this year was making sure it was okay with Caitlin, my wife, you know, like, I, I kept trying to talk her out of it almost like, all right, now, you know I'm, what I'm going to have to do because it's, it wasn't like I had a great winter. So I knew what I was going, what was ahead, June, July, August, September. And she was all for it. And, and she held to it because there was times throughout the summer where I was like, man, this is, I was missing my, we have two girls and I was missing the kids really bad, you know, and I, I felt bad. She was stuck with all the day-to-day chores at home, taking care of everything. And, and she was the one like, I said, nope, stay out there, keep doing it, keep doing it, you know. It got to the point where I had already spent so much time away from home. It was, you know, didn't want it to be for nothing. You right. know, was wanting to reach the end goal, make it back here to the national finals rodeo. So yeah, all, a lot of, if not all, the credit goes to her for sure for that that for having that giving me the support and uh, keeping me going. You know, it's things are a lot different when you're out there rodeoing with a wife and kids at home. It's funny you say that because my wife in 2020 kept telling me, "You got to quit your job. You got to do this," and I kept saying, "Like, hold on, like." <laughs> Cause I had a good job, you know, and it benefits and paid vacation and all that stuff. And I was like, and I kept telling her, you, you understand what you're saying, right? Like we're going to yeah. give this up yeah. and it's just all on us. And it's a huge risk. And we didn't take a paycheck out of the company for this first six months, you know, and it was all because of her pushing us and, um, you know, and giving me the confidence to do it. Cause it, it honestly, it felt selfish. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I was quitting security for, for life really um, for something that was just kind of a hope and a dream. And, uh, you know, it, it's that, that having family behind you, if you got a good woman behind you, if you have a wife behind you, you can, you can do anything. Well, and, and that, to that point, you know, on my whole career was in, I talk about this often. I even cried about it on the hall of fame speech, but how selfish a rodeo cowboy's life is. And to have, like you said, a woman, behind you and and this is what I've always said I should never said she was behind me but she was always alongside of me yeah in yeah. fact sometimes she was dragging me because sometimes <laughs> I didn't want to do it you Kicking know you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um uh but that family support and you know your wife while you're out there rodeo and had the girl she has two businesses of her own that she was having yeah. to deal with too absolutely yeah she has her, a lot of her own stuff going you know from a brick and mortar storefront there into a lot of customization stuff she does also so yeah she and she never slowed down one bit seemed like she just kept on rolling through it all and uh hats off to her and it kind of goes back to like we're talking about coming up in whatever business or sport you're in who you surround yourself with makes such a big difference and I know there's not much uh room for sympathy from her in this for me like she gives it to me straight and gives her opinion you know, and at times it, it irritates me and gets under my skin. Like, you know, what does she know? She doesn't ride bulls, but, you know, a lot of it, there's a lot of truth. She's been around it long enough. She knows and uh, causes me to step, take a step back and take a look in the mirror, you know, and, and she's, she's right about a lot, and it pushes me, pushes me to be better, I will say. So. And isn't it crazy, you know, you said you were on the road a lot more this year than the past because of the PRCA schedule. But when you get home and seeing how those girls have changed, yeah. and you may only be gone two weeks, yeah. but there's always that change that you seem to miss, and it's almost heartbreaking. It is. That is for sure, yeah. And I, I said the same when I came home. I was like, oh, Annie, my youngest, she's grown so much. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, like when I said when I started it, I was like, okay, I'm not going to be gone no more than a week at a time, five days or whatever. I'm, I'm coming home. 
But it, you know how it is, the rodeo schedule. You can, you can darn near run a steer, ride a bull every day uh, during the summertime, and that was the case. And I, I was in a position where I kind of had to hustle and hope and get it to keep on just keeping pace with the guys. And so it, that, that time extended to two weeks, three weeks was the longest stretch, and that was, it was rough for sure when you'd come home and, and see the kids. Yeah, it, yeah like I said, I, I just definitely I couldn't have gotten through without Caitlin. Well, Josh, same with you. I mean, the, that family support, like you said. And I, I would love to come up there and see how you guys got started and where you're at now because your story, the, the success of your story is absolutely amazing. How you guys started, like you said, just coming home from work and working in your shop, and now you have a, you built a shop, and now you're having to build again, and it hasn't even been a year. Yeah, no, we just uh, actually got on our contract on a new piece of property. And I, I was telling you earlier, it's kind of funny because our – you know, our, our new shop that we built, uh, was actually in my horse pasture last year. And so, uh, I had to move some fence and take out a couple outbuildings and, and, uh, we built this building on my property. Cause again, when we started thinking about doing this, we were just making knives in my garage and I have a few employees in there and, and it just still all seemed like such a huge risk. And, and I, I didn't want to put our family, frankly, uh, m- you know, uh, in more of a disadvantage or more in jeopardy financially so instead of buying property and buying that fancy commercial space or whatever we just built a building right right on our own place and um it is getting to the point now we have you know 30 people or whatever coming you know reporting to work in my backyard which is uh again like my family's being patient with that and stuff but uh we did we've got a piece of property we're starting to kind of work on design of a new facility and and there again, it's just a stepping process. Like this is going to take a lot of time. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have some conglomerate that owns us or some big bunch of money behind us. So, you know, t- to buy that property, it's coming off of the money we made from selling knives in the last few years. And the only way we're going to continue growing is if we keep selling knives and people keep, you know, supporting and, um, you know, it would probably be easier to hit the easy button and, and, you know, sell a portion of the company and just build the, the ultimate building right off the bat. But then you lose control, you lose feel, um, you know, that relationship piece is really important to me. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool what's happening. And, uh, again, it's just because of, you know, our customers being so supportive. Well, I, I have one of your knives here and I believe this is some like, uh, Richie gave to the bareback riders. And this is a speed goat here. Uh, this thing is light, it's it feels so good in your hand and the belt clip and i can you just kind of go through and explain to folks um yeah this is actually a paracord wrap knife i call it i I tried to name a lot of the stuff that we make after something in montana so people know antelope in montana are are a light fast uh quick animal and the slang term for them is a speed goat uh and and going speed goat hunting in eastern montana is kind of a blast when you're out by billings doing that so I named this the Speed Goat Knife. It's 1.4 ounces. Um, but the idea behind this in the hunt world was people count ounces. You know, they're cutting handles off their toothbrush, and they're figuring out any way they can count ounces to, to, uh, to pack in as little weight as possible into the, the nastiest places, you know, in Alaska or Canada, uh, Montana. But also, this is a knife that a lot of, we see a lot of people carrying on the ranch on their belt, you know, you don't even know it's on your, you know, it's on your belt. It's super light. It locks into the sheath really well. Um, and then you can actually unwrap that paracord off of there. If you need some rope, there's like eight feet of paracord on here. So you can unwrap this and use it to tie something on. If you have something break on your saddle or you have something you need to tie down, if you have an animal you need to tie off on your pack, packing it out. Uh, I actually drug out my daughter, uh, my 13 year old daughter's cow elk last year with the paracord off of this. Um, 
and uh, we, we thought it was going to be dead right there close to the truck, and it actually ended up running down into this North Face brush stuff. Uh, my wife, she's out here. She wasn't real impressed with us because that drag out was a pain in the ass. But <laughs> anyway, uh, you can unwrap this and use that, but that knife still goes back in the sheath until you get a chance to rewrap it later on. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is actually made from, uh, high carbon, uh, ball bearing steel. It's really easy to resharpen. A lot of the knives that are in the stores are so thick and heavy. Um, but if you know how to heat treat your steel, well, they don't need to be that way. They can be light and still be super functional. You can break down a whole elk or a moose or do whatever, you know, on, on the farmer ranch. So that's the, that's the, uh, kind of the gist of the speed goat. And, uh, and these sheets are cool cause you can clip this right over your belt without taking your belt off, put it on a strap on your saddle. So they're handy that way too. Well, and they lock in, you said you could even tighten that what tension screw if, if you want yeah. it in there a little bit tighter. I mean, it, that thing's not falling out. So make sure you guys go up and check out the Montana knife company upstairs. We don't know the booth number yet, but uh, <laughs> it's right across from Total Archery. What is it again? Yeah, it's 2113. 2113. Okay, 2113. Go upstairs and check it out. Uh, man, I, I appreciate you, you coming on and showing us that, Josh. This is some pretty cool stuff. Cody, tonight, round five, what are we focused on? Focused on the 2023 Canadian Bull of the Year, Chester. That's what I have. He's a really good bull. I uh, actually saw him in person in Calgary, and he fits the pin. He's a bucker, so I get a chance to, chance to get a win, a round win. So I just have to go do my part. Yeah, and like I said, you got a little bit of money in the first round. Yeah, a couple stub yeah. your toes the next three a nights. A few, uh, a few of this and that. Thing, little things that just we didn't connect. But yeah, like a, it's. I'm excited about tonight. We actually have the next two rounds with the makeup round uh, tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow morning. Oh, so yeah. I know what I'm getting on in that round as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about the next two rounds and two opportunities ahead. Well, I know you're busy, and I really appreciate you coming on. In fact, I want to gift you this knife oh, from the Montana Knife awesome. Company. Um, you know, I don't know that you want to use it on your bull rope, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I'm sure it would cut it in half pretty easy. But, man, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Best of luck the rest of the week. Josh, thank you for coming on. I mean, this has, been, this has been a fun show. So thank you guys. And thank you all for coming on or coming out to watch or watching us on the Cowboy Channel Plus app. Please go to my YouTube channel, Luke Brand, the Luke Branquino Show. Like and subscribe. Again, if you subscribe, I make money and I need money. So thank you all for coming out. We'll see you tomorrow. Rodeo trivia question. In the barrel racing event, how many barrels does a barrel racer have to navigate around on the cloverleaf pattern? In the barrel racing, the contestants ride around three barrels.